Welcome to Mental Health and You. This podcast brings you the best information and advice from across the Norfolk and Suffolk Foundation Trust. Every fortnight, we will hear from one of our specialist areas, be it school and parent support, the recovery college, well-being or research. Hi, um, with me today we have Dr Simon P Hammond. He is lecturer in education in the School of Education and Lifelong Learning at UEA. We wanted to talk to Simon this week as it's Children Mental Health Week and he is doing lots of important work around supporting children and young people with care experience. Simon, just as part of this intro, tell me what are the main focuses of your work? Thank you. So the main aim really is to improve the mental health of adolescents with care experienced um, by trying to improve the guidance and support around them. Um, So adolescents themselves with care experience are the kind of fastest growing age entering the English social care system. And they're also the group most at risk of mental health uh, or indeed mental health, mental ill health. Um, and there's lots of different reasons for the kind of poor mental health outcomes of this group, but these also um, include kind of poor housing, kind of pre-care experiences, some obviously kind of uh, prenatal um, influences on their kind of behaviour, etc., brain development and so on and so forth. Um, but one of the most kind of common ways of trying to help the population of um, kind of looked after children more broadly or young children and young people care experiences something called life story work and this aims to help the life story work aims to help young people in uh, with care experience to kind of think about who they are their past experiences and how those things may impact on their everyday but crucially starting to try and help them look more positively towards the future so i always talk about it as changing kind of narratives or stories from oh if only this thing hadn't happened to me out of doing this to kind of okay well despite all these things happening to me i'm still going to do this um now at the moment life story works delivered in a lots of hodgepodge ways really uh depending on where you live in the in the country uh the resources available you, you kind of the care is around you and also your, your placements so the the kind of living arrangements the, the house where they live for example um and the evidence is really really pants it's really pants about does this thing work or not and also if so kind of how and 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 why um now what evidence there is out there is also primarily aimed at younger children um and like i said as adolescents are the kind of the quickest growing um population entering the social care system and also ones who have tend to have the, the most mental health needs they're also ones that need the most help and i feel like as part of this project we're, we're trying to play a small role in, in helping that by helping the young people understand kind of who they are where they've come from what they're about and also where they can go uh, so creating more positive narratives really that's brilliant yeah so we are going to be focusing on a joint nsft uea project called limitless today which is about life story work for adolescents um, with care experience but let's start at the beginning when when did you kind of first get interested in this area simon uh oh that takes it back that's a good question um so around 2004 I finished my undergraduate degree uh, in psychology and sports studies and I did the thing that people used to do pre-covid which is kind of do a bit of traveling I went to Australia with my friend Useless Graham and instead of staying for a year we stayed for three months uh, and I came back and needed a a role a a job and in December 2004 
I got a agency role in a residential um, children's home. Nice. Never worked in the sector before. Didn't really know anything about the population, but always loved working with young people. And I was really gobsmacked at, um, I guess, the level of mental health needs in the in the in the home in which I worked, and also the kind of lack of support um, the young people had, and, and myself and, and the staff I worked with. Kind of, we had lots of good intentions, but not really much good guidance and training and those sorts of things. And the lady who was the manager of the home, I'll never forget her, she was a, a care-experienced uh, adult, so she, a lady who'd been through the care system and was now managing the home. And she was always massively keen on young people doing life story work. Um, I think her own uh, personal circumstances meant that perhaps that hadn't been done as well as it could have been. And therefore, she was really a, you know, a keen advocate for it. Um, and as a young, fresh-faced um, kind of residential work at the time, I had a good level of rapport with the young people I worked with. I was kind of given the task of doing this with one or two of the young people. And I was like, okay, you know, let's, let's do some life story work. And I had very child-focused, orientated tools. So, you know, kind of colouring books and puppets and all those sorts of things. And, you know, I was working with sort of 13, 14 or 15 or young people in, in Sheffield who right, <laughs> quite rightly told me to stick these various resources in the in, uh, in places the sun don't shine, yeah. um, which was incredibly frustrating. So I was like, well, we'd also go out, you know, I'd, I'd take them on visits and, we, we, you know, hairdressing and whatever else. And um, one young person I worked with, we... Um, would go to his, his old stomping ground, his old neighbourhood to get his hair cut. So a, a place where he used to live, but his placement had broken down and he was kind of in the home with, with us. Um, and we'd go on these places and he'd always take me the scenic route. Um, he'd be the kind of the sat-nav and I'd be the driver. And he, he'd have his phone out. And again, this is 2004, 2005. So we had these things called camera phones. The, the, we had a, a Nokia with a camera on it. And we'd pull over and he'd start to take place uh, photographs, pictures, of kind of places it used to be and then from those photos he'd start start talking and start reflecting upon kind of what he was doing there who he'd hang out with and you know, it was really much conversation about the, the, the people the places and the relationships he had at a particular point in his, in his life if you like and I was like ah you know a big light bulb went off in my head oh he's ready in inverted commas for life story work so we'd go back I get the CD-ROM out that dates it as well uh, and these books out and go hey let's do some life story work and again he would tell me to insert it in, into myself and it was just really frustrating. So I sat there going, well, he clearly wants to have these sort of conversations, these conversations there to be had. And yet the tools, the resources I have to have those conversations, they're not they're not working. Um, so that's kind of, I guess, kind of really how I first got in- introduced to the kind of the area of uh, children and young people with care experience and also kind of life story work. And simultaneously, I know we'll revisit this later, kind of just the idea of digital as well, because I was really aware that, young people even you know this is 2004 2005 so we had this thing called msn chat there was these things called desktop pcs and they used to sit as the name implies on a desktop uh, and in the living room or under the stairs in some houses and we as adults would kind of sit next to children to kind of monitor them which just felt like a massive invasion of their privacy at that time um and yet there were also the tools from a kind of you know going back to the lad i mentioned before that they were using to communicate kind of with those around them and I just felt like we weren't doing enough in that area as well so I kind of came away from that role um frustrated and kind of I think that frustration and that kind of passion is drove me to my MSc in psychology and then kind of my, my PhD really at UEA from 2008 to 2012 which was again can we do life story work with adolescents residential care um, and just those people who are thinking, oh, that sounds like a, a page turn. I'll go and read it. 
100,000 words later. The answer is yes, we can. But yes, we can do that. <laughs> a bit of a spoiler alert there for you. Oh, that's a bit of a spoiler alert. Everyone was just like hunting off to find that PhD then. <laughs> uh, um, just going back on the life story work, um, I guess it's just, it would be useful to really explain, sort of drill down what is life story work like, and why is it important? Yeah, no, thank you. So life story work, in the social care sector, it's, I, I tend to describe it as an umbrella term, and it's a, a term that's used to describe a variety of different ways in which we work with children and young people with spare, a care experience to um, come to terms in an age-appropriate way with kind of their life pre-care, their reasons for entry into care, uh, and also hopefully kind of why they, why they are in the here and now. Uh, we try to make sure that the, the blame, any sort of self-blame is removed from the child's narrative. You know, I think sometimes young people can come in, uh, children and young people can come into care uh, with no real clue why they're there or indeed kind of misinformed, half uh, kind of baked narratives where they've kind of like must have been my fault. Or in some cases, again, this is the kind of one of the reasons why we're doing the research, the disparity between, um, you know, they'll have perhaps be given a, a written account created by a social worker or more commonly a social work student because the, the caseloads of social workers are, are so high and it's such a sanitized um narrative they probably they sort of look at it and go well, why the hell am i in care because this sounds like i had a wonderful life what's going on here so a life story is really a way of communicating and and trying to work with children and young people to create a, an age-appropriate narrative for why they are where they are so when we meet each other we tend to you know we tell you know a little bit about yourself who you are where you're from etc and for this group of children and young people, that question that answers to those questions, like, you know, why am I bald? Why have I got blue eyes? Why do I speak with a particular accent? You know, why am I right-handed, etc.? We can get those sort of answers from talking to our birth families. Uh, you know, we yeah. often will sit there with the in-laws and hear tales of my wife's various antics when she was a child. Now, as the children and young people with care experience, those narratives and those conversations aren't always possible. Or if they are possible, they've perhaps got more kind of traumatic or potentially traumatic questions that they want answers to. So life story really is a, a to kind of come back and answer your question more succinctly, an umbrella term used to describe a, a range of approaches and ways of trying to work with young people to support uh, their positive mental health through kind of narrative and creative and working with them to create narratives which help them understand kind of why they are where they are uh, and why that happened and, and hopefully and crucially so i think there's a, the important bit in terms of kind of mental health and mental health week ensuring that there, there's no self-blame attached to that and actually that the narrative that the story they, they create about themselves and tell to others doesn't limit them um, and that's one of the, yeah. the kind of reasons the name of the project is limitless um because i, I feel mm -hmm. like sometimes we can tell narratives about ourselves particularly young people who've been through a variety of different kind of adverse experiences we can tell narrative about ourselves that are limiting uh, and I think one of the things that I want to do and the, the team I'm working with and the, those people with the experience I'm working with want to ensure that children and young people in care realise they're limitless, they can go and do anything they want to do. Uh, so that's kind of really what the project's all about. That's brilliant. And um, something you said there was interesting, like um, they're writing something that's age appropriate. And I can only imagine then, like, does it have to be updated fairly regularly? Because I'm imagining what you might write with a six-year-old is going to then be quite different from what... Yeah. Um, is useful to a 16 year old no, again, another really fantastic point yeah so um and that's kind of think where the project comes in as well so i'll answer your question first before going to talk about the project a bit more so yes it should be again should and, and could should be 
updated regularly. It should be for me. It's, um, it gets talked about as a piece of work, and again, the title life story work. It, it implies that it's something that can be finished and completed. So again, we, when a child enters the care system, they'll do you know, a, do or have a life story done to them. And again, the, the language is really important there about kind of how involved they are and should be and who else should be involved, which is a, a wider conversation. But the, the, the name and the current practice suggests that life story work is something that should be completed. And again, obviously, now we change our stories about ourselves and our identity more broadly on a daily, hourly basis. We have different relationships with different people. So when the young a child comes in perhaps enters at five and six obviously the way in which we explain or that the circumstances are explained to them as you said quite rightly would be very different compared to when they're 16 and i think one of the things that can happen sometimes a young person can enter care at an early age be given and it, you're created by a you know perhaps a well-meaning professional a particular account of what happened and then they come back to that account later on as a uh, an adolescent and want more questions want and there is no one or nothing around them to be able to talk to or, or address those questions um and again one of the things about the limitless study is that we uh, the team appreciate that actually adolescent based approaches approaches that will work or, or could work with adolescents are few and far between uh, and therefore when you have practitioners like i was back in 2005 2006 trying to work with young people in adolescence you know we we also think about adolescence in, in our culture and our society as this time of reflection of trying to work out who you are, where you want to go, you know, piercing your ears, having tattoos, dying your hair, all those sort of things that we, you know, I, I know I used to do as a teenager. Um, but also for this group of pop, uh, young people, it's also, you know, they are potentially facing transitions beyond the care system. And, you know, so having these sort of conversations is, is really, really important. So, it is something that has to be continually revisited just as kind of everyday conversations do. And again, I think for me, that's one of the things that this particular project is looking at, trying to equip, um, you know, the trusted adults, the caring adults around the, the, the adolescent, uh, the young person in care with more evidence, more guidance, more knowledge about how to have those conversations in, in productive and fruitful ways. Because I think sometimes we, you know, so we, I guess when I used to work in the social care sector, it might be the same for some practitioners now. There's a an anxiety or a fear of, oh, we might upset them. We might open a can of worms there. And and for me, and I think this is what will happen. Like, good. I, I want to have difficult conversations with young people. I want difficult conversations to be held with young people in safe environments. In a safe environment mm-hmm. when you're living with a foster carer or a residential worker or an adoptive parent who you know, you've known for years, they know you and they care for you and you know that and you can kick off a little bit and they say come on it's, it's okay it's okay it's not your fault whereas if we don't have those conversations in the care system they then transition beyond the care system and are faced with God, you know so many challenges hurdles and obstacles and they've also got this sense of well why was i even in care like what's going on here yeah. so like yes it has to be kind of age appropriate and yes it has to be kind of i believe kind of continually updated and i think that the, coming back to the Limitless Project, that's one of the things we're trying to look for really is low intensity or kind of everyday ways in which we can help um, the um, carers and trusting adults around the, the um, adolescent with care experience to have these kind of supportive, constructive conversations. You know, I think one of the things we'll start to look at is you know, the mental health literacy. So upskilling the social care workforce with the terminologies and the knowledge that actually it's, it's okay to get upset. It's okay to have difficult conversations, yeah. and actually, it's also not okay. Sorry, it's also okay not to be okay. You know, to the bring the wider mental health kind of conversation yeah. into, into that setting. So yeah, that's what we're 
we're kind of looking at really. So tell us a bit more about Limitless overall. I mean, um, how did that come about? And yeah, what what, yeah, what is the sort of, you know. Lucky enough to come across uh, a type of literature review uh, called Realist Review, which I'll come on and talk about in a moment. But essentially I had this program of research in my head, which was, okay, there's a need for some sort of intervention here, you know, some sort of training program, a, a platform perhaps for young people to upload their content, their digital content, their digital artifacts. There's a need for carers to be involved in this, to support this. And there's also a need to kind of think about that. And actually, does that work? Because those things cost money. And before we get to that kind of intervention, of let's do this eight times a week or whatever it is, whatever shape it may or may not take, there's the kind of problem in now, which is, you know, we're doing this. People are doing life story. This very moment, people listening to this will, will even when you listen to it in the future, like people at some point in time in the care system will, will be involved in having conversations around life story work. And for me, I want to make sure that kind of those conversations are held in the best possible, the most optimal way they can be. Um, so I worked and started to reach out with different colleagues and one of the ways to kind of start off this program of research would be to establish what's called a, a program theory. So a program theory is if you do these things uh, in these contexts, these outcomes will happen. So it's almost like a, a theory of change. So if A and B, then C, it's that sort of way of doing things. So Limitless is a 16-month a um, long National Institute for Health Research or NIHR funded uh, study where we're looking at the existing evidence base for life story work. Uh, and I said, what we have is lots of good intention, but perhaps not as good evidence. So what we're trying to do is trying to find out what is likely to work best for young people. And also within that, trying to work out who will do it, and how and, and, and why it would work. So we're trying to create a, a program theory, trying to use current understanding to create a, a literature search so I, I i think the best way i try to explain this is um imagine i'm on a fishing boat somewhere okay and I, i've got a fish fishing net and there's a school of fish that look a bit life story worky so i throw my fishing net into into the water and i'm trying to pull this yeah. net back in so what the realist um review and the search strategies that we, we're trying to do is kind of almost kind of haul this 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 catch of literature if you like back into our boat and then what we're trying to do is is search through throw out the stuff that we think is going to be rubbish and keep the things that's going to be relevant to us now the great thing about a realist review and the colleagues i'm working with are, you know with fair world leads in that area um we also have something called expert consensus groups so we, we've got two of those and what we have is a group of professionals who have worked with supported and kind of received if you like as foster carers um clinical psychologists, educational psychologists, various different people in lots of different domains, been involved in delivering life story work in some way. And the really exciting part about this one is we're also working with uh, the, uh, the Care Leavers National Movement, which is a, uh, a social enterprise of um, kind of care-experienced um, young adults. Um, and we're obviously, you know, within that remit have kind of experienced life story work from a, a variety of different angles. And we're running our kind of ideas past both of these groups. And then we're bringing these groups together and we're kind of fleshing it out. And what that's doing, returning to our fishing analogy, is making sure the stuff we're keeping in the net is decent. 
and the nice. best it can possibly be and making sure we're getting rid of the you know, the little tiddlers you want to throw back that's the sort of thing we're doing and that's a sort of global tool is it like from all different countries absolutely um, yeah. yeah so we started with um and the, the chap i work with professor jeff wong at oxford he always talks about an onion analogy um so we're really starting with the core of the onion of the really you know in our fishing net we're really the kind of the ones we actually do absolutely want to be focusing on and then once we've done that, we'll kind of go on to the next layer and, and then the next layer and just make sure that we're not missing yeah. knowledge in other areas. And then what we'll do is bring all that together. We'll take that to a, well, our consensus groups, groups again and we'll say, look, you know, if we do these, uh, these things in these contexts, we think these are the outcomes. And again, what they'll do is hopefully tell us it's it's okay, but there'll be some twiddles and some refinement. And then at the end of the, the 60 month, we'll have a, a program theory. Um, but also crucially what that will accompany is guidance genuine kind of bona fide or real world guidance of here's the most optimal way we think that we need to be undertaking life story work with adolescents with care experience right um and is there any like little gems you can tell us about now or is that like you know is it kind of you know any when it's revealed? oh that's a good question uh, any spoiler alerts um <laughs> so i think that uh, the, I'm trying to think because I've been um, part of the process I'm working with so uh, I've got a fantastic research associate called Ella who I'm working with who's based at the Norfolk Software Foundation Trust and she's kind of really much the kind of the engine behind all this project um, and we're kind of getting to the to the grips of the academic literature so they're kind of the, the peer-reviewed stuff uh, and then we're going to kind of go to what's called the grey literature so this is um, us really acknowledging that actually knowledge isn't just in journals knowledge is in books written by practitioners That's it's good. in local authority documentation um, yeah. And I guess the, kind of the nuggets at the moment appear to be um, the level of evidence, as we suspect, unfortunately, is really um, very much around experiential, so experience-based rather than empirical. Um, and I think that there's a massive piece of work to do in that regard uh, in terms of kind of best practices. Um, the, the messages we're getting loud and clear from from both expert groups, but also the literature is you're young person driven, young person controlled. You know, it's their narrative, it's their story. You know, the the, the carers who are working with them need to be accessible. The young people need to be able to choose those carers, uh, and also the carers need to have some sort of training in this area as well. That's um, you know, and I think and when when I say training, I think sometimes that we we as professionals kind of chuck two excuses at people. Oh, I've got no time, and I'm not trained. And I think that one of the things we need to do is ensure that people are trained to understand that this takes time and to carve out that time, uh, but also trained with the, the best possible evidence. And that's, I think, what the, the program theory will help us to do. It will help us to think about and point to what is the best evidence. Um, so, yeah, I think that's the, I guess, the, um, the nuggets, if you like, at the moment. Cool, that's great. The other thing that's coming up, and it, um, it's the idea of, to, and it's, it goes back to that young person led thing so the analogy another analogy i love an analogy i try to use is thinking about young people becoming the curators of their everyday memory museum and what i mean by that is too often professionals kind of write stuff about young people and it's you know they did this or they've done that or whatever and actually they're very different memories to what the young people have and if we can get young people empower empower young people to become the creators of the memory museum what i mean by that is you know select artifacts to, to kind of place in there digital physical whichever that may be and catch the narratives around those and also be aware that like all of us you know we all have kind of memories that aren't that great we don't go around telling everyone about them all the time and just kind of give that respect to them as well so yeah i guess that's mm. the, the nuggets a little bit that's nice yeah i love the creators of the memory museum i've written that one down 
one thing I just wanted to ask you about is because I used to work in television. I made a few programs about children in care and, and care leaving, etc. And uh, I can remember filming once someone doing some nice story work and it definitely involved a sort of scrapbook and a, a shoebox. And I just wondered whether there is still a place for that kind of tangible thing that you can hold and stuff, which might be a bit lost with the digital element. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, I think you know, like everything is nowadays hybrid, isn't it? That's the, that's the go-to phrase for 2020 to 2022. Um, yes, I think, you know, you can, let's say, take a photo of a, a ticket stub to a gig or you could, you know, take a photo of your first haircut, whatever that, you know, your tooth or whatever it may be. But actually the art of the physical touch, the tangible touch of these things, I think is still massively important. I think what digital does as a supplement is it, captures let's say a photograph or a, a brief video you know a brief uh, kind of webcam diary so a young person recording a video log or a vlog for two minutes it captures the young person at a particular point in time and a particular mm. kind of point in their development their their accent their clothes their the hair color their acne to be really stereotypical uh, their uh, the, but physically where they are the place because again you know for young people who live in care um you know a bedroom for example you know, the, the bedroom yeah. is, is theirs whilst they live in that particular placement, if you like. And then they can't leave home and kind of come back to that all the time. It's, it's Once they've gone, it's gone. And actually, mm. you know, having that kind of the video, if you like, of them in, the, in their bedroom is really important as well. So I think that I see the digital as a, as a supplement rather, rather than a, a replacement. And again, like like we all do, it's nice to read a PDF on a screen, but actually being able to print it out and scroll over with a highlighter or a pen, I, I think it's dual. I think it's hybrid for me. Um, but I think yeah, what the digital yeah. does is it does add value in terms of kind of giving us richer narrative starting points from which to tell stories. And I think that the other thing I, tr- I try and talk about is kind of a, imagine going to a place you don't know, meeting people you don't know, and trying to tell them about people they don't know and about a place they've never been. Like, as a challenge, as a storyteller, you know, I'm fairly mature. Like, that's hard. You know, and, I, and yeah. I've been fortunate enough to my birth family and whatever. I, was like, I haven't gone through the stuff that lots of young people with care experience come through. Like, that's a really hard task to do. And that's what we're asking this group of young people to do. And then we're wondering why they're struggling, A, to do that, and B, with their identity and potential mental health stuff. Like, it's it's, mm. it's just a really difficult task. And I think that the limitless stuff and, and the work I've been doing in other areas and the digital things will allow us to provide better richer starting points those future those children and young people with care experience to tell those stories in future yeah that's brilliant no, i totally get that um and i know you've done a, quite a bit of work around social media and how it can make life better for people in care right? that's what i read which it sort of sounds surprising and and so i wanted to know a bit more about that yeah thank you so um because i was interested in kind of digital life story what one of the things that emerged at the same time was this kind of idea of the digital resilience so you know, back in the day when I was doing my PhD, um, you know, the idea of going into a children's residential home and asking young people to record a, a brief video camera diary on, on a webcam uh, and then upload that on a kind of private bespoke um, website was obviously quite troubling uh, and and yet was something I, I was able to do with young people. And what was happening at the same time was, was the, um, the the workforce, the, the, the homes and the young people and the adults that supported them, the carers, were also trying to struggle to deal with this whole kind of social media, YouTube, Facebook was cool back then, obviously it's not anymore, but that whole kind of shenanigans, that whole piece really. So one of the things that really emerged was this kind of idea of digital resilience. So again, particularly within the 
mental health literature, but also the kind of working with young people in care experience, kind of the idea that you you have to take managed risks sometimes. And sometimes, you know, just like if you are riding a bike, you have to fall and you are going to scrape your knee. Now, if we apply that analogy to, to digital and social media and young people in care, what tends to happen is we as adults are telling them how dangerous it is already. So again, you, you're teaching a child to bike, right? You might fall off your bike, you might crack your edge, you might run into the road, you might, so we've, we've already scared the bejesus out of them. And then we've mm-hmm. gone, okay, well, here's a bike and for young people in care, here's a helmet, here's wrist guards, here's knee pads, here's elbow pads, here's stabilizers, and I'm going to hold your bike. And then we're going to let them pedal for a bit. And then we, we eventually we take some of those things off and they fall over, they make a mistake, they share a photo or they comment on a birth family relative. So they, they do something that's perhaps in hindsight a bit daft. Which we, you know, we all do. I know adults in my, my we do those sort of things all the time. Um, but actually, when it comes to people in care, particularly social media stuff, there's a tendency then to try and take the bike off them. You're not going. We're going to ban it. We're going to restrict it. And that's sort of short-sighted for many reasons. It's short-sighted because uh, for children and young people, we work with actually children and young people more broadly. You can ban what you like. They're going to get around it. You know, we. Can, I was in a, on a bus the other day. Wi-Fi on this bus. I'm like, when did that happen? You know, here's the Wi-Fi. Co- I'm on a bus. <laughs> What's going on? So, like, if we try and you know restrict Wi-Fi in the home or ban this and ban that, they're going to find they're going to going to go and do the stupid stuff that teenagers do anyway. And for the young people yeah. we work with, you know, evidence from Internet Matters and other uh, institutions and uh, researchers like that indicate that the young people we with are more vulnerable online. They're going to encounter more risks and they get less support. So the idea of digital mm-hmm. resilience is around making sure that we're, again, as adults around these young people, but all young people more broadly, that we're aware that we need to be risk aware, not risk averse, and then actually taking things away is short term and actually is, is actually more dangerous uh, for the young people we work with. Um, right. And I've been lucky enough to work with the Foster Network and Internet Matters, and we were kind of using that kind of my work around digital resilience. We are releasing a, a CPD online training course for the social care sector on uh, the 16th of February, I think it goes live. So it's a free and available course. It's uh, self, there's two routes. There's a trainer-led one through the Foster Network, which has a cost associated to it. There's also a self-directed four-module um, resource, which will be hosted on the Internet Matters website. So freely available to all those people in social care. So please do a sort of look at that. And again, there's some stuff in there about the whole premise of it really is around kind of digital resilience and trying to, to get us to think in a more digital resilient fashion. Well, that'd be great for people, yeah. I'll be passing that on to some contacts. And as it's Children's Mental Health Week and the theme is growth, I was just wondering where would you ultimately like to see this work go? What's what's the big aim for Limitless and beyond? Oh, I like a grand idea. <laughs> so my vision, like, you know, if you, if you spoke to me in 2005 and 2012 and kind of now, my vision is I believe that when any young, young person, child, adolescent enters the care system, they should have a... Um, an amount of online data storage. So essentially kind of like, like they would have kind of paper files somewhere. They would have a, a digital repository online where they can stick digital artifacts and they can have their carers stick digital artifacts with their permission about them and that this thing follows them through the care system just as their paper records do and that they have access to this within and beyond the care system. And when they leave, it might be archived, but they can access it. You know, perhaps they can't add to it anymore, but I, I feel like that's a massive thing now that's a policy change that's a, a governmental thing and to get to that point we, we need to kind of crank up the evidence base the evidence base is look does life story work work and if so how 
and so limitless is almost kind of the, the, the second or third step in, in in that process we've kind of got the the first two steps was okay me discovering that <laughs> this, this well adolescents don't have a lot of life story work support the second step was my phd can we do it digitally yes we can the third one is okay well let's really think about how we can do this most optimally and then there's an, the next piece of research from limits which, which will be okay well does life story work work in inverted commas and if so how you know what's the what mental health benefits potentially identity benefits state you know all the placement stability metrics but crucially we need to invest in this population and there's a and it's horrible when we talk money, particularly with children's mental health and young people's mental health, and especially with the young people we're talking about today, the care experience population. But we've got to invest in that. And to make those arguments as robust and as strong as possible, we've got to show a return, return on investment. And there's lots of research about investing in children's mental health, which is actually, you know, investing 10 pence now and you're saving 10 pence, in, uh, sorry, 10 pence now, you're spending 10, saving tens of hundreds of thousands of pounds later on. And that's the piece of evidence that I'm looking to do after Limitless. So Limitless will establish that, okay, if we do this in these ways, these outcomes will be will be influenced or should be influenced. And the next Limitless 2, if you like, will be, and this is the evidence we need to, to drive that next, next piece of change. So that's why, in terms of Limitless, that's where I want it to be. In terms of digital resilience stuff, again, this, uh, currently there's no um, requirement for foster carers to have um, online safety training. So that, that's something we're working on with uh, Internet Matters and the Foster Network. But crucially, I think it needs to be more than online safety. What happens lots of times is we we um, forget about digital literacy, so the ability to kind of look at things online and make critical, informed decisions about stuff. And we forget about resilience. We forget that we all make stupid mistakes sometimes. We all look on Amazon and we click on what we think is deny Amazon Prime and suddenly we sign up to Amazon Prime. We all make those mistakes. So, so for me, there's twofold. There's a limitless, which is making sure that young people have a digital repository online and crucially informed and supportive carers around to have those conversations and for the digital resilience stuff just making sure that the social care sector doesn't make um, children and young people with care experience even more digitally excluded than they are already yeah oh well that's very exciting work so thank you very much Simon. thank you is there anything else that you wanted to add uh, no just thank you for the opportunity to talk about it and uh, yeah please do you know reach out um social media or, or via email uh if people want to hear more about it so as you can tell from this this long podcast i'm quite passionate to talk about it oh that's brilliant thanks so much thank you for listening please do subscribe it's free and means the podcast will automatically download every fortnight do rate and review mental health and you and follow our social media accounts that are all in the show notes. And more than anything, look after yourself.